0: Before this episode of the Final Word podcast, a quick thank you to the Final Word sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing. Check them out on Instagram and Facebook at Brick Lane Brewing. Brick Lane is based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia, the world's sporting capital. Great city, great beer. You can check out Brick Lane's One Love Pale Ale, winner of the 2021 gold medal at the Australian International Beer Awards. One Love Pale Ale, described as a soft-bodied pale ale bursting with bright characters and a cleansing bitterness. It's kind of like the final word. Bright characters and a cleansing bitterness. I may have gone too far with that. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of The Final Word, and thank you for listening to Jeff and Adam twice a week now, twice a week, the weekly episode and story time. Have you noticed the new story time artwork yet? It looks fantastic. Find everything Final Word related at finalwordcricket.com. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and The Final Word. I had to go.
1: It's the final word cricket podcast, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Another very, very busy week uh, in global cricket that we look forward to discussing with you over the next, I don't know, let's say 90 minutes or something like that. We'll see how we go. The first half of the show will be principally focused on all matters England. There's been a lot going on over here. We're going to have uh, Will McPherson from the Evening Standard joining us shortly to talk about that. By the time this episode comes out, I suppose we'll know whether football's coming home or not because it'll be uh, after the semi-final which is about six or seven hours from now local time but that that is certainly dominating every possible bit of space in the media landscape right now over here it's pretty cool being over here during a football tournament where England's doing well I've been over here when England have been bundled out yeah. of tournaments in the group stage and it's all quite morbid and morose but yeah it's hard not to get kind of caught up in the wave I was at Worcester on Saturday night uh, watching the Ukraine quarter-final, and I mean it, Arguably the worst pub in in all of the mm-hmm. United Kingdom, with uh, coked up twenty year olds in front of us booing the knee and then flipping the table when the first goal was scored. However, putting that to one mm-hmm. side,
0: it's quite the uh, yeah quite the experience uh, enjoying the wave they're on at the moment. Well, I'm just amazed that um, the supply chains found their way to Worcester. To be honest, but. To, <laughs> Two observations there. One, one, do we know that football's home is not in Denmark? What if football lives in Denmark? <laughs> like, has anybody checked that out? I, I rewatched Happy Gilmore a couple of weeks ago and so I'm just imagining, yeah, you know, football, are you too good for your home, football? <laughs> Don't you? um, and uh, I, I suppose the other thing is that, if if England did progress, if they have progressed by the time this goes out, uh, you know th- there are people I would feel happy for, but it's also one of those vexed things where a lot of the worst people you know will be happy. Um, so you know, do you want that to happen? Do you really want those people, or well, not even the worst people you know, but some of the worst people who exist?
1: Yeah, um, I've had to reconcile you know. that. I mean, I think we do that all the time with football, don't we? I mm. mean, Melbourne being Melbourne with the the uh, the, uh, the congregation of uh, AFL teams, yeah. like whenever there's a wonderful story about a club doing well. You know someone from that club that you detest. Uh, I I feel that way a bit about Melbourne at the moment. I've always disliked Melbourne Mm. uh, disproportionately because of the merger. There are some horrendous people I know uh, from politics days who who follow Melbourne. Yet, Mm. I'd love Shannon Gill, friend of the show. If if Melbourne won the flag, that would make me so desperately happy. So I'm Mm. trying to take that attitude towards tonight, think less about Boris Johnson and, and more about friends of ours who it would mean the world to...
0: All right. Yep. Think think about those who will be those who deserve to be happy um, rather than than those who don't speaking of being happy you will have been thrilled during the week Adam to notice that you finally have a Wikipedia um, you know, I know I know the absence of one has, you know it's, it's, it's probably there' have been times where you, you may have thought look I, d- I deserve one someone's gone and done it for you um, I don't know who the, the username is not clear as to who it is but it's quite detailed it's obviously scraped from various things that we've published over the years but what really tickled me was at the end where it's sort of like personal life I think there's no mention of having say a partner and a child personal life is Adam supports the Hawthorne football club and also Adam drove to Cricket Australia headquarters to complain about Mark War being dropped from the test (laughs) team in 2003.
1: Yeah that was the bit that tickled me as well I mean I I've never really felt the absence of one but uh, when it did pop up over the weekend it was I mean someone's Gone to a fair bit of effort It must be said So well mm-hmm. done to them But It wasn't yeah. me I just want to put on the record That it was not
0: me <laughs> Well yeah the, There'd, the be mo- that There'd be more on there If it were me
1: Yeah But also the leaving out of uh, You know Serious personal moments Or, or whatever mm. Political allegiance Or whatever it might be That normally would appear mm. in, a, in in the personal life bit But getting in yeah. there That yes I did drive To the uh, What yeah. was then The ACB As an 18 year old And did mm-hmm. wait for Trevor Holmes for hours Ready to abuse him For dropping Mark War From the Ashes yep. 11 But as I've always said I'm grateful that never Came to pass so I'm grateful that Trevor Holmes never stepped foot out of uh, out of Jollymont because God knows how I would have behaved. But, uh, you know, I was I was just 18, I had a car yep. and I was able to drive and I wasn't going to miss that
0: opportunity. So anyway. Somewhere to go. As per the Corey Haim vehicle licence to drive, you had one and you were willing to use it. I will say that there was no mention of trying to buy Mark Waugh's trousers on eBay on the Wikipedia <laughs> So the silence was deafening. Wikipedia's silence on Adam trying to buy Mark Waugh's trousers is deafening.
1: Yeah, it, well, put it this way, the fact that one can edit the Wikipedia Wikipedia page means that that might appear there at some point. Who's to know? Jeff, before we go to our uh, guest today, Will McPherson, I should note that the backdrop's different for you. Um, we mm-hmm. are used to the Swedish sauna. Uh, it is no mm-hmm. more, for you have moved nope. house, uh, and therefore I am now looking at a white wall, a mirror, and a door. Uh, gone, mm-hmm. uh, gone are the wood panels that have defined our Zoom yeah. relationship You've over got- the last couple
0: of years. If you were on YouTube, you'd be seeing my artworks on the wall. My not that I painted them, but you know some some paintings that have been done by other people who can paint up there. So that's what that's what you're seeing. That's a you can't see that one. That's a John Kudelka, who's the the former political cartoonist. Yep. Uh, that's a Harley Manifold, very good painter. Anyway, not to say that I have a lot of paintings. I have two paintings, and they're on the wall. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're not a collector, as such. No, no, and one of them's a print. So like, yeah. I'm not fancy. <laughs> don't don't get the wrong impression here. But you know. Uh, they're, they're nice, they're on the wall I'm, uh, I'm at a new final word Studio, office Kind of scenario and we'll be, we'll be Recording here with, uh, with We've got an out of doors balcony situation Which you and I will be using when you're here For the summer Excellent. Um, to get the, the outdoor Ambience uh, when we re- record Well I can't wait for that
1: uh, Jeff. let's uh, bring a halt to proceedings For the time being and let's bring in Will McPherson mm-hmm. To talk about the week that was in English cricket All right, to start off today, returning to the show, a guest who's perhaps been on The Final Word more than any other. It's Will McPherson from The Evening Standard, who we tend to bring in when there's been a big week in English cricket news, and gosh, it's been one of those. Um, it's a target-rich environment, Will, as I welcome you. I don't really know where to start, but perhaps the, the best place is the fact that an entire England men's squad have been wiped out of three one-day internationals. We thought this might happen during the, the COVID bubbles last year. That wasn't the case, but it has happened this time. What's the difference between 2020 and 2021? And how do you think this has all come to pass?
2: Yeah, hi, fellas. It has been a, an incredible week of, of cricket news here. Um, it's it's sort of this, this story, which we'll, we'll get into now, it, it sort of continues the theme of the English summer, which has been a pretty disappointing one in the sense that the cricket's been pretty poor New Zealand's beat up uh, England pretty or England sort of England twos England one and a half's pretty comprehensively then England have just absolutely thrashed a, a really poor Sri Lanka team and the, o- the only real stories we've had around it have just been negative ones they've been about COVID-19 like this one or they've been about racism and sexism and, and all that comes with that and the, with the Ollie Robinson story which is sort of died a death a little bit, but who knows, that might have a bit further to run. COVID, as we're learning in all corners of the world, also has a little way to run yet. And this has been a remarkable development, really, over the last 48 hours. We're chatting UK time, lunchtime on Wednesday. We're 24 hours away from an ODI against Pakistan. England had to call up an entirely new squad of 18. They had 16 players in there bubble, which is, is probably a pretty generous term now, bubble, uh, in that they, obviously England lived in extremely stringent environments last summer at the Aegeus Bowl in Old Trafford where there are hotels on site uh, which allow them, they didn't leave basically, they left to play golf at the Aegeus Bowl a little bit, but that was about it. And so the only moment of concern last summer was when Joffre Archer decided to to take a little detour on the, on the way from uh Southampton to Manchester he went about 60 miles east when he should have been heading due north uh to Hove, and he went yeah. to Hove. And, and actually they got away with it he did not contract COVID at the time it's slightly weird now to think back but at the time the first wave of COVID in the UK had sort of eased last summer you know I covered all those games and we were we weren't living in the bubble the media we were allowed to go out uh, and we were being careful, but we, we weren't behaving as we normally would during a test match in Manchester, for instance. But um, <laughs> we we were we were able to go out for dinner, and we did. We obviously sat outside almost entirely. But you know, but rates were low, and people no one got COVID in the whole thing, which was mm. kind of amazing. This time, what's weird is that the UK is opening up, and. ECB are keen to move with the times on that and uh, and allow their players to live a little bit more freely, partly because putting on a bubble is an extremely expensive exercise, but also partly because the players are just were done with it and unable to do what they did last summer, these kind of two, three-month stints where they didn't see their families and all that kind of stuff. So they've, they've been living this summer, as cases have been rising almost exponentially across the UK, in... They haven't had sole use of their hotels. They've travelled on trains and planes to get around the country. And there's also the other key thing is they've had fans in the ground, which brings with it an element of risk. So these two games last week at Bristol, the the one which has caused the issue, basically was at 50% occupancy. As you both know, Bristol is not a big ground. I was there on Sunday Mm -hmm. and I felt like the players probably weren't too far from punters often, whereas... There's been this kind of ring of steel almost for much of cricket over the last year where players and punters just haven't been coming into contact with each other. They're not allowed to sign autographs or take selfies or whatever as they would, but there there will have been times where they were less than two meters from punters. Punters are required to present a negative lateral flow test before the ground, but before they come into the ground. But I think we know by now that those lateral flows are a little bit hit and miss, and who's to say they didn't contract COVID in between taking it and, and entering the ground, all that kind of stuff. So there has just been an element of risk this year. And as rates have risen in the UK, the English cricket bubble has not been able to to keep that sort of COVID threat at bay. And we've got this situation, it's incredible. We had seven positive tests initially. There will surely be more tests of all those people. So 16 players were probably about, I haven't actually got an official number on of this, but probably about a dozen staff with them. Uh, of one description or another so say getting on for 30 people seven of which were positive originally 20 odd uh tested negative but you would think the whole close contact set up that you know there's not big changing rooms at bristol you'd think there might be some more positives to come we don't know that yet Mm. and i I shouldn't really speculate but they've had to they've had to get a whole new squad in who as we speak are sort of awaiting the results of their tests on the way in and there's every chance the way Mm. things are going because every chance some of them could be positive as well
0: yeah, that, that's the bizarreness of having the relaxed restrictions at a time when you've got a much more contagious variant, a more, more spreadable variant. So is there any sense of, you know, where this might have come from really, aside from maybe from punters in the ground, or does it not really matter where it came from, given that anybody could have picked it up anywhere legitimately, really? I think
2: the sense is that there hasn't been wrongdoing. I've heard no suggestion that there's been any kind of bubble breach or anything like that. It's not kind of like, you know, if the Sri Lankans had got COVID last week after their yeah. players went walkabout, then not literally to walk about, I should add, they went walkabout in Durham. Um, you know, you would understand how it might've happened, but I think this one is just that the bubble sort of, you know, wasn't strong enough for the times they're living in. Uh, and that's a really difficult balance because the players don't, players who do obviously have considerable power don't want to go into more stringent lockdown. It must be quite hard. They haven't been eating out in restaurants and stuff. Right. When you compare it to what is going on in the UK, where people are, you know, you, you'll have probably, you know, seen footage of people watching the Euros and all that kind of stuff, and they are, to an extent, still locked away a bit. not Not completely, but a little bit.
1: Can I present a scenario to you, Will, that may or may not be under consideration? August 16 is the day... According to the government, when if you are a close contact and you're double jabbed, you're okay. By that I mean you won't have to self-isolate. Until that date, even if you are double jabbed, if you get pinged by the NHS app or if you've got a close contact that's been identified to you, you have to self-isolate for 10 days. There are two test matches before August the 16th. We've seen the Indian team, quite rightly, out in the community. They're here at the moment. We saw Washington Sundar at Wembley the other day on camera, for example. I mean, the fact that there are two test matches before the government will allow people to roam free after being a close contact, is it viable, is it possible that they'll have to bring back dare I say it, Old Trafford and Southampton to be the first two test matches or or a version of that for England-India. I'm not sure whether that's under consideration, but, I mean, deductive reasoning, really, with case rates going up, they could easily end up in a situation where COVID gets inside the team groups in those first two test matches by extension of the close contacts.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this has obviously been, this story has been a shock to the system. I think, you know, they were living on a wing and a prayer a little bit, trying to get through... These games before you know before that date. Uh, Ashley Giles said on in his press briefing yesterday that they'd like a little bit more help from the government, which could mean that what he's saying is please from July nineteenth, which is when the country opens up. Could that rule apply to us? We'll do you know they can organise all their testing and everything, but if close right, contacting yeah. could could diminish a bit, they've just gone by public health. They've spoken to Public Health England and their own medical guidelines, and they they've kind of been very they've gone to the nth degree here and identified everyone as a close contact yeah. you know what they've done basically for these three pakistan odis in fact the whole six match tour that the guys who are in isolation are due out next thursday the first game against in the t20s which are a bit more important the odis for both teams we've given the world cup later this year but the first one is next friday so you know you can basically rule these guys out of that one as well if they've been just at home in isolation they're not going to be playing a t20 international next day they might play the final two matches of the tour some of them others will probably miss mm. the whole thing particularly the guys who've actually been positive what they've done is they've just kept the show on, show on the road like we have to play these games because they, they would say if these games if we canned off these games then the india tour kind of by extension is at risk mm. the india tour with its five test matches, is an absolute mammoth event. You don't need me to tell you that. So they, they have to get that on, and they therefore had to get this on. They, you know, they're lucky that in in white cricket, England do have quite a lot of depth, and they're going to call up. They have their team tomorrow is going to be extremely inexperienced. I mean, there's nine uncapped ODI players, mm. only three who've played more than five games. I think one of them is Ben Stokes, who played 98, and the other two, Vince and Baller, in the teens. It's going to be a really inexperienced team. But there's still enough quality there that almost every single one of those players are players who kind of get T twenty gigs around the world and they're kind of they're not totally unrecognizable names.
0: It's gonna be one of those great scorecards when you've got the players on debut, you know, when you have like Ireland's first test match yeah. and there are eleven players on debut, that sort of thing. Or I suppose ten it would have been, wouldn't it? Because uh, because Boyd Rankin yeah, would have already ranking. played. Uh, uh, but yeah, it'll be it'll be fun in that sense. Disappointing that they didn't go for more banter selections. Yeah, they um, were very serious. We, very yeah, serious. like why didn't Darren Stevens yeah, get a and, go And first and of also all. James
2: um, Anderson, who I imagine we might talk about a little bit in a minute. But yes. he's England's <laughs> leading ODI wicket taker ever.
0: And he's four Yuck. and he's four games yep. away from a milestone.
1: I think he's played like one hundred and ninety six one day international. That or would be about like right, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So he'd only get to 199. But Broaden and Anderson could have played. Darren Stevens could have played. Owen Morgan's out of the side, therefore, Alex Hales could have played. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they- hasn't been brought back. Hales hasn't got another guy. Go- ben Stokes, the, the, the punching the guy in the head a lot of times guy, he's fine to captain the side. But Alex Hales, doing. Recreational drugs can't have him back in the team. Apparently, by the logic of English cricket. So, yeah, it's not a lot of fun in the selections.
2: No, it's not. It's it's quite a, it's quite straight actually. Uh, but the amazing thing about Eng- English white ball cricket at the moment is we've we've talked a lot about how strong it is uh, over the last five or six years. How much depth there is. Well, this is the test of that. They, there's a chance they mm. beat Pakistan in this series. I would also think Baba Razam is really quite excited about this series um, <laughs> because England's batting is, it, it, on paper, just speculatively looking at it a, a day out, England's batting is definitely stronger than their bowling for this series. Mm. So Baba could have some fun. But, you know, they could could win a game. They could win two of them. They're they're a strong side with a lot of players who would be in other international uh, ODI and T20 teams.
1: And and the trick here, of course, here is that uh, they're all worth points, aren't they? And this is a great thing, by the way. They're all played for World Cup Super League points. And England at this stage uh, have won uh, six and a half games uh, out of their 12. So, I mean, they've still got three series after this, but they're three away series against Bangladesh, the Netherlands and South Africa if they get those games in against Africa because obviously they left that tour early but it might mean according to Tim Wigmore and he's done the numbers on this if they were to lose 3-0 here they'll need to win 5 of their last 9 for automatic qualification of course if, even if they didn't in that Vastly unlikely scenario where they didn't knock off the wins they needed at the at the, at the at the tail end of the round robin. I'm sure they would get there via the reper charge and the uh, and the second stage. But still, like you can see by the way that they picked that team on Sunday at Bristol. Yeah. I mean, there was no fun there. That was belt and braces. That was we, we're going to grind out a win. Rain scuppered that, but they're going to grind out a three 0 series victory just to get some more points in the bank.
2: Yeah, uh, no, England have been England in ODIs is is actually. Quietly, been quite interesting since the World Cup two years ago. It's actually bang on two years ago now, isn't it? Because T Twenty became the white ball focus, and English cricket is amazing because it can't just be good at all the formats at once. (laughs) It can't concentrate on all three things. You look, I look at Australia with envy, but they seem to just be able to simultaneously generally be pretty solid in all three formats. But England, England have to have a focus at all times, so it's been T Twenty since. So they've picked some kind of um slightly rogue ODI teams they've experimented a bit result is they've had some interesting results like losing a game to Ireland they lost 2-1 to Australia at the end of last summer which a series on paper again they shouldn't really have lost mm-hmm. they lost to India this year in India which isn't surprising and then they've had this they they have a washout against Sri Lanka on Sunday which actually as you point out Adam could be quietly a costly result like they They played that game to to win it and get it won. They didn't pick George Garton and Tom Banton. Mm. Every England fan was absolutely howling for them to pick younger players and to try new things and, oh, how boring is this? We're 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 going after 10 Super League points. Well, now, in this series, there's three lots of 10 Super League points up for grabs and they've picked Mm. basically every young player in the country. The the fans had their wish, but in a very weird way. Except for Tom
0: Banton. Poor old Tom Banton, Will, who gets called up to the squad for one game that's a washout that he doesn't even get picked for and then he's a close contact and gets pensioned off to quarantine while three more games get played that he definitely would have been in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and he's already spent time in isolation having had COVID in at the Pakistan Super League. So really poor luck for him, poor luck for George Garton. It means that some of the players that they have in their squad for this, this series are like... I mean, David Payne's a left arm, he's a Mm. sort of journeyman left arm seamer, really, for Gloucestershire. Terrific player, done loads of good stuff in Canterbury over here, but he, I was, you know, sort of back of a fag packet this morning. He's best England sixth choice left arm seamer. He's in there because he bowls with his left arm. But he's, you know, he's about, he's probably sixth choice.
1: And he kind of meets that criteria of the sort of Ben Stokes replacements, doesn't he? I mean, Payne's probably 30, 31 now, I reckon. Had a 30, fabulous yeah. season, by the way. I mean, he's taken 25 wickets at 20. He bowled out Middlesex twice. I mean, he had a baby girl, didn't he? He missed a game having had his first daughter and then came back into the team and took 11 wickets at Lord. So, I mean, he's earned the chance to be talked about. But as you say, I mean, there's just no way he's genuinely going to play for England this year unless something calamitous like this takes place. John Simpson, look at him, uh, the Middlesex wicketkeeper. I mean... All of those wicket keepers England have, from Butler to Bairstow to Folkes to Billings, even James Bracey, I suppose, in, in more recent yeah. times, although he wasn't picked for this squad, are all there. And, yeah, sure, Simpson might... We probably will sit behind Phil Salt and maybe Ben Duckett as to who takes the gloves over the next week. But still, the very fact that he's in a squad at age, what, 32, Will? Something like that. Yeah. True journeyman yeah. as far as the, the cricket he's played. And, and they get these opportunities. It, it's kind of a beautiful thing as well.
2: It, it is lovely. I, one thing I do hope is because England are not... going to have an extremely strong squad whatever you know it's not it's not the it's not the team everyone hoped they'd have they've got three games here they've got 18 players i hope everyone plays one because yeah also they've caused by picking this squad they've caused disruption for counties big time so like so someone like dan lawrence or Zach Crawley who desperately need time in the middle against the Red Bull uh with the test series against India coming up have been taken out of county contention to play in these games if they then don't play that's really dumb. And then you've also got young guys like uh, Phil Salt, you mentioned, and Will Jacks, who have international futures. Well, you have an opportunity to give them a game or two games now, maybe even three, and just get going with that, like start that international future now. Um, it's been a, what's, what's quite interesting about it is English cricket is so dysfunctional um, with so many forces pulling in different directions. This story has just been a recognition that these games needed to happen and all the counties have really helped England out there's been no fussing everyone's just kind of got on with it and and it, it's been uh, quite refreshing to see that actually yeah
1: because they weren't COVID replacements per se were they they were called up so it required the discretion of the ECBC oh, it was a crazy day uh, as far as I can tell it was yesterday at headquarters in order to give Stokes a credible team to play alongside him Ben Duckett and Will Jacks were both not out overnight I mean four of the guys weren't even in the training squad of 55 last year that England picked yeah. at the worst of the sort of COVID bubble style. Danny Briggs hasn't played a one-day international since February 2012. I mean, some pretty good stories here. And of course, on the other side of it, there are players who are left out. You were having a conversation mm-hmm. on, on your Two Hacks podcast yesterday about Sam Hayne. I cannot believe that Sam Hayne isn't in the squad when he's got the best one-day average of all time at domestic level or something like that and a fine record for the Lions. And and no, Al- no Alex Hales either, as Jeff pointed out, which Perhaps is a little bit understandable given there's a, a broader conversation being had with England's team and, and Alex Hales at the moment. But I mean, when you're looking looking through it, this is going to be something we never forget the next next week or so for for a lot of players who are there. But it's a uh, it's it's quite the thing to be living through.
2: Yeah, I, I reckon um, some of them are, are meeting each other for the first time about now. I mean, most of them would have played against each other, but Stokes has not been a domestic cricketer of any regularity for a long time. There's a good mm. chance he's never played against or met David Payne, I would yes. say. Um, and that is pretty cool, I think. I think they played England
0: 19th together, didn't they, those two? So it's 11 uh, years since
2: they? they've seen yeah. each other. They're about the same age, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, as as with Danny Briggs, as they say, if you play well for the Adelaide Strikers, you well. play well for England. You know, there's, there's a exactly. tacit understanding of that. Exactly. Uh, Now, I I think there's almost no point looking at the Sri Lanka series because Sri Lanka were so bad. I think we need to do a whole show on on Sri Lanka maybe in in the coming weeks where we actually give our full attention to what is happening in Sri Lankan cricket because that's a a story that does need to be told. James Anderson, 1,000 wickets. Now, it wasn't just that he got to 1,000 wickets. It was that he got there with his fifth wicket Picking up a five for um, during a spell in which he took what seven for ten at one point before our old friend Darren Stevens got hold of him. So at one point, Stevens is 18 off 13 balls while everybody else around him has made a single figure score and he's taken about 10 runs off an Anderson over after Anderson's picked up seven for 10. It was that, and the most bizarre sequence of cricket I think I've ever seen, and in the middle of it, almost lost, is that Anderson gets to a thousand class wickets.
2: Yeah, it was incredible, actually. I, I was—I um, didn't even realise Jimmy was going to play this week. He's been going around the country commentating for TMS on the Sri Lanka games, and he wasn't there. I don't think he did the last one on, on Sunday because he was going to play for Lancs. So that first day was washed out. And then the game was washed out again until 2 o'clock on day two, at which point Joe Denley, who's Kent's, pretty reluctant standing captain i think he's pretty reluctantly playing red ball cricket full stop and he's ended up captaining the side uh as sort of by dint of being a senior citizen he under cloudy skies won the toss with only two and a half days left in the game and opted to bat which is an incredible decision when anderson is at the other end i kind of tuned in just speculatively because i was like this is interesting i knew he was on 995 going into the game and he he just picked up wickets just relentlessly. It was, you know, one in first over, one in his second, one in his third, all maidens. He had a couple of overs where he just bowled. And then he got his next two overs bought wickets, then same pattern again. And it's just incredible. Got got his 1,000th. He said he didn't realise he'd reached his 1,000th and all his teammates were getting a bit too excited about it. But it, it really is incredible how he's still going and still doing He's He's looked... He, he didn't get any wickets in the New Zealand series, which is obviously a bit of a concern. But he, he's bowled he's bowling quickly, Jimmy. Like for yeah. for a man his age and his he, and he's looking he's looking lithe and fast, which is incredible really when you when you think about it. He's thirty nine this month. He would not have any suggestion that he won't be in Australia later this year. A lot of pundits will tell you that he shouldn't be, but I I think he will be down
1: there. There's a lot to this, isn't there? When England were playing uh, Germany uh, last, would have been last Wednesday, Will, thereabouts, about a week ago. Yeah, Tuesday, yeah, last Tuesday. All these photos of Jim, who is a massive football fan. He wasn't watching England. He was bowling in the middle after doing a TMS. Yeah, I
2: was was up there for that game, and we were watching the football. To give you a sense of how much everyone at the cricket cared about the football... (laughs) I have it on pretty good authority that Johnny Bairstow teed off in the chase to try and be done by the football. (laughs) That England didn't quite get it done in time for the football, but the press conference was delayed, so we did it on Zoom at half-time in the football Brilliant. with Chris Wokes. All the while, and we were done in time for the second half start, all the while, Anderson is outside... Bowling with John Lewis, the bowling coach, and Mark Schofick, and a couple of other, uh, Phil Scott at
1: yeah. the S&C. And it just kind of summed it up, didn't it, Will? It kind of summed up the idea that he knows that he needs to stay a step ahead fitness-wise, and he can, continues to do so. So he's the 216th bowler to reach 1,000 first-class wickets. Now, some have compared it to 100 hundreds. That's different because only 25 men have achieved that the last, of course, with ramps back in 2008. But he might be the 216th and last. I mean, you look through it. I mean, Tim Murtagh, 869. He's 40 in August. Stuart Broad, 836, 1035 a couple of weeks ago. I suppose he's the man most likely. He's um, a chance. A chance. Dil Ruan Pereira, the off-spinner from Sri Lanka, he's 38. You know, Neil Wagner's 35. Simon Harmer might have a chance, age 32, 684 wickets so far. I mean, Peter Siddle won't get there now. He's on 655. Maybe Nathan Lyon, if he stopped playing test cricket, might come and do a long stint in the championship from 623. Who could get there. But the point here is... Is that Anderson's the first Englishman since Andy Caddick, uh, Robert Croft as well, but he's a Welshman, I suppose you would say, but they did so 15 years ago. And here's Jimmy doing what he's doing. I mean, sure, his career's nearly over, but it's just a, a, the perfect feather in his cap, isn't it, that he's doing something here that it, it's entirely possible no one else will ever achieve.
2: I think there's a good chance no one does it again. I just can't. The, the, every year, fewer first-class games are played around the world and more rest is put in place. You know, I I wondered about someone like, he's only got about 350 or or something, but he's fairly young, he's about 25, but someone like Craig Overton could become a proper journeyman and have a a stint in it. But he's going to have his workload managed for the rest of his career. He's going to play fewer games each year. He's probably only going to play about 12 first-class games every year. And then suddenly you're like, well, he needs to be taking 10 in each of them and he's not going to do that. So it's it's just incredible. You, You need the longevity that Jimmy's had and to play a lot, uh, which he also has, you know, but he, his test cricket for a large p- part of the last 15 years, I suppose he's played, you know, he's played every game for England, 10, 12 tests a year. It's only in the last year or two, that it's been kind of a little bit more selective and they've withdrawn him from certain mm. games. So, but he, you know, I, I think he could get hundred more first class wickets because even when the test stuff is done, I can see him, nibbling away for, yeah. for a little bit longer. well he
1: said that didn't he he said the other week that when he's finished up he wants to play for lengths, which is remarkable it'll still give him if he took like a hundred more half of Fred Truman or a quarter of Wilfred Rhodes yeah. which puts it in some broader historical perspective uh, Well, a uh, couple of extra bits before you go first of all the Cricket Discipline Committee issued their ruling on Ollie Robinson during the week essentially time served in practice some suspended games in there some games he missed in the blast and of course a test match in Edgbaston they threw in a, a 3,200 quid fight And they also said that he's got to spend two years uh, working with the PCA, both in his own development, but also helping others with respect to their social media output. And we've seen this week more of this at Lancashire with other players who've been wrapped up in historical tweets. So this won't be the end of the story. But as far as Robinson's concerned, it feels like it was a, a pretty good process where they have done the exhaustive work, and and they are fairly confident uh, that there's no further skeletons in the closet.
2: Yeah, I mean, as you say, the story's got a a way to run. England, ECB have 18 new players, Twitter accounts to vet right now, so um, (laughs) (laughs) there's a bit going on there. But, um, yeah, I think that basically, I mean, we're all aware of a kind of uh, wider culture war that this has been framed in and essentially the horrendous 10 days or so when it first happened where... Uh, all the wrong people on the right got hold of it and made Robinson a sort of unlikely hero. But I think the fact that there was so little outrage on either side on Saturday when they announced this uh, suggests that ECB have got it broadly right. The only thing I wish they'd done was they'd done it a little bit quicker hmm. because they said they would initially and, and then they didn't. But I think the outcome w- was about right. By, by every account, Robinson is like horrified by what has happened. It obviously, it is horrendous what he was doing. Uh, eight or nine years ago incredibly careless to get to the point he did but he is very contrite and I think the education stuff that he's going to be involved with now is far more important than any game he's going to miss he's missed the the punishment of having to carry that around in the, for the rest of the Lords test against New Zealand and then missing the Edwardson test was very heavy um and I think they've got it about, got it about right. I expect uh, he will be back in that first. He'll, he might even play in that first test against India at Trent Bridge. Ollie Stone is injured. Jofra is not going to be fit for that. Mark Wood's going to have played a bit of white ball before then. So I, I would he'll be very much in the mix. And I think they've got it about right.
0: It is very on form for the Cricket Discipline Committee, the CDC. The same thing they did with Stokes and Hales where they say, oh, the punishment is coincidentally exactly the same number of matches you've already missed. Um, But it it wraps those things up neatly, I suppose. The last thing, Will, is the 100. What's the go with that? Because a lot of players have pulled out, mostly the Australians, men and women, have pulled out over the last week. There have been a few things that haven't gone so well um, and a few things that have, like putting out Lego sets of, of all of the men's and women's players seemed like It was like unexpectedly cool, I suppose, for the ECB to pull that off.
2: Yeah, uh, the 100 is happening, I'm told. It's meant to be starting in two weeks. Uh, It's all a little bit low-key and weird at the moment. No one is really talking about it. Mainly when people talk about the 100 at the moment, they go, oh, look, there's music and, oh, look, there's Lego and things like that, forgetting that actually there should be quite a cool cricket tournament starting. I mean, we can have our misgivings about There is a lot of elements about it, but... This should be the good bit when it actually happens for cricket. We've had all we've had, you know, three years of of kind of mudslinging over the actual hundred. We've known about that since twenty eighteen, and at least three more years of it about a new competition. And this should be the time of kind of celebration. Obviously, there's been unfortunate things with players pulling out of COVID. They 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 need to stop saying that the world's best players are playing because they're now not. It's it's now the next rung down, and that's fine. <laughs> It's COVID. Everyone understands that right now, but the claim that it's the world's best is just not true.
0: England's replacement ODI squad will be playing. Yeah, 100.
2: I mean exactly, and um, yeah, it's gonna. It, it starts two weeks today with the, the women's match, which is obviously a great thing that they need to shout. They are they are shouting a lot about. I don't know how ticket sales have gone. I I don't think they're great, but. You know, there, there might still be some limits in place on how many people can actually go uh, at that stage, which which might suit them really
1: nicely. Yeah, they should probably stop identifying it as a beacon for gender equality when the women's salaries are a disgrace compared to the men's as well. That's an easy an easy win for mine. Just double the women's salaries now. Just say, look, we made a blue. We made a mistake a couple of years ago. We'll double them for this tournament and we'll fix it up more generally before we get to 2022 that's a separate conversation Uh, Will you've had a busy week we're going to let you go enjoy the rest of what I'm sure will be a rapid fire day with you on the phones calling your contacts and working out what's going on tomorrow and enjoy the
2: football tonight Cheers coming home
0: G'day guys this is Jimmy Neesham you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lehman
1: Final word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Thank you to Will McPherson for running us through everything that's going on in English cricket. And Jeff, before we come to the second segment of the show, I think we should find some time
0: for some... Mmm, God bless. I'm just going to be quiet because I don't want to annoy everybody in the new house first week. <laughs> um, right, Nerd Pledge. Yep, normally normally we'd, we'd project that a bit more. Nerd Pledge is a game that we play with listeners uh, to the show. It's a reverse quiz. You quiz us. Uh, it's a game that we play with people on the patron page. They're very kind and they support the show. They help us make the show by sending us financial contributions, but instead of being a normal amount of money, it's an amount that is very specific with the, the decimal place and the, the other number. It's not like a round number. It's a it's a specific number that relates to cricket. For instance, Lachlan Smith, who is our nerd, nerd pleasure for this show, has sent through three dollars and twenty nine cents. Now that could mean thirty two point nine. It could mean three point two nine. It could mean three hundred and twenty nine. But three two nine is the number we've got to work out. And of course, the first thing Adam that comes to mind without looking anything up when you see three twenty nine is not out asterisk next to it, Michael. Clark at the SCG an innings that we've talked about uh, sort of tangentially a couple of times, but maybe not, maybe not uh, thoroughly about that innings itself. But uh, one that was pretty fun to watch.
1: Yeah, so that was the same with me. I see three two nine. I think Michael Clark. I think in al Huck, who also made an mm-hmm. unbeaten
0: three two nine uh, for
1: Pakistan at Test level. But there's a third three two nine in professional cricket, which mm-hmm. uh, I thought would be worth a little look today at, and that's uh, by a man. That you know and I know Called Mike Hussey mm-hmm. One of Mike Hussey's Three triple tons Part of his trilogy Of triple tons Between 2001 And 2003 For North Ants When he was Running amok there And I just It's just striking to me When looking back at this And I did so I did a long thing With Hus. A couple mm-hmm. of years ago So I've got sort of all this Documented in notes somewhere But the extent to which He absolutely fucking bossed it uh, When he was playing Over in England uh, in Around this era So around the turn of the century This particular inning So 329 not out mm-hmm. uh, Was against Essex In a Division 1 match At Wantage Road There at Northampton A ground that we've talked about Fondly a number of times uh, On the show over the years, um, he was just 26 years of age at the time, which, in a way, I kind of always think of Mike Hussey as about 30. But this was—he was, he was yeah. still on the upward, you know, on 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 the climb towards the Test mm. team. Uh, it still took him
0: four years after this to reach it. But in 2001, yeah. he had. Slayed- you'd think he was born 30, wouldn't you? Like you'd think yeah. he came out of the womb 30, maybe reading a magazine about tractors, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> maybe watching Money with Paul Clitheroe. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, something like that. But, you know, he, he was such a force uh, there at North Ants. He reached 1,000 runs in the season in this with this innings. It was in July 2001. And he was the sixth Australian uh, to get a triple century in England behind some names that you might know called Trumper, Armstrong, McCartney, Bradman times two, and Bobby Simpson Show off. Uh, in the uh, Manchester test of 1964. But, no, so he he faced 448 balls, struck 48 boundaries They made 633 for 6 declared He was not out When the declaration came Which makes me think That he was robbed Of a quadruple ton Probably there Given mm-hmm. the extent To which they were Bossing the game It was a pretty a Very Essex attack Of that era too So <laughs> it includes Ronnie Irani, Peter oh, Such yeah. Graham Napier and Paul Grayson, who are still floating around on, on the county circuit as Yorkshire's batting coach, I think. I spent some time with him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but then, I mean, I mentioned it's part of a trilogy. The next year, still playing for North Ants against Gloucestershire in 2002. He makes 310 at Bristol. And then the year after that in 2003, an unbeaten three three one at Taunton against Somerset. So in the space of three years, he goes bang, bang, bang. Overall for North in this in this extraordinary window, 5,194 runs at 79... 16 centuries, three of them were triples and three of them were doubles. And then four years on, when he goes to Durham, or a couple of years on from when he finished in, in 2005, he averages mm-hmm. 76 for Durham. And that was when, as Daniel Bredig detailed in his wonderful Bradman Packer book, uh, Kerry Packer tried to get him brought in for the final test of the 05 Ashes at the <laughs> Oval because he was going so well. But yeah, I thought that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of 3 uh, 329s, or uh, well, there's a couple of options for 329 at test level, but I thought yep. uh, the Mike Hussey 329, on the basis of It was one of three in three seasons,
0: and what a player he was. I like it. And frankly, Kerry, you were behind the times because you should have been pushing from that before the first test. It was obvious from the way he played in the one-day series beforehand. Exactly. This was a player in touch. This was a player with several seasons uh, in 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 those conditions, under his belt, who would have done well. Uh, the 05 Ashes stubborn selections. They should have got Mike Hussey in the team for anyone who wasn't scoring runs, which was most of them. And they should have got Stuart McGill in that team. And uh, we wouldn't have had the greatest test series ever played if that had happened. <laughs> it would have just been another routine Australia I didn't win. Um, yeah, yeah. So probably probably just as well. But uh, the other thing that happens with Nerd Pledge, Lachlan, now is that because we've made friends with the Brick Lane brewing community, you get to send someone a slab. Uh, you get to send someone a slab of Brick Lane beer. Uh, it could be you. You could send it to yourself or you could send it to someone else. I'm just, just cracking a can of the Brick Lane lager right now. And as, you're, and as you're cracking the can, that makes a lovely sound. This
1: worked so nicely last week. Uh, one of our patrons who won the slab of uh, Brick Lane mm-hmm. last week, I can't remember which, who it was, off uh, the top, top of my head, but it was a UK-based patron. Mm-hmm. And they immediately said to us, Jeff, no, no, I'll send it to my friend in Australia. Here's their address. Here's their phone number. And we were able to, to get the ball rolling on that. So it is a nice mm-hmm. thing that if you're not living in Australia, or if you are and you don't drink beer for whatever reason and you want to send it to a, a family member or a friend there is that option or you just like
0: someone and you want them to have a case of delicious beverages. exactly exactly maybe
1: that. maybe it can be a courting thing maybe if you're trying mm. to uh, oh, attract yeah. attract somebody that you're after you can send them an anonymous yeah. slab or maybe with a little love letter attached or something yeah. like that
0: sure I'm sure we could arrange to you know to, to carve a love heart out of a six pack car. We can or do something. it. We and, can do it. I'm yeah. sure.
1: Hey, I, I want to ask. Uh, I want to ask you and everyone else. You <laughs> especially, though, Jeff, uh, to follow okay. the Brick Lane Brewing right. community on on Twitter and, and Facebook yep. and Instagram. It's all in the show notes this week. So Brick Lane Brewing uh, for Insta and for Facebook and Brick Lane Brew Co for Twitter. But it's all there in our notes, mm-hmm. so stay in touch with what they're doing. Uh, as we yep. noted last week when we introduced them to you uh, on Final Word, they're a company who we uh, really enjoy uh, the story they're telling in terms of the environmentally friendly way they're making their beer, the way they've been growing in the southeast suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, a part of the world which is dear to my heart, hiring lots of people in the area, and so on with the factory they've got in Dandenong. Yeah. They're you know uh, making a product and competing with the big guys, of course, and that's the way uh, these things work when selling alcohol. But yeah, we want to help them on that on that journey. Uh, I
0: feel like they're, uh, they're they're the sort of uh, people that we're going to remain friends with for a long time. Yep. And if you want to be able to send someone a case of beer, go to Patron, sign up, Patron.com/slash/the-final-word. You can send us through a Nerd Pledge. Get on the show and. Uh, be a chance to win the box of bevs break time let's do it
2: hi my name's kate cross and you're listening to the final word with adam and jeff
0: it happens but once a month that is the time when the wisdom cricket monthly magazine comes out one time per calendar month uh the name on the front the month on the front isn't always the month that it comes out in in fact it never is because the august issue is the one that comes out in july ahead of august but it's going to print in in a week or so and, and it will be out soon and ahead of that you can start thinking about what's going to be in this august slash july monthly edition one time out of 12 per year
1: in this august publication you could say it is in august. it is um, the cover yeah. story i know because i've seen
0: i know what's coming
1: uh, it's about yeah. um, england's red ball crisis so um, right. uh, I did the most recent test match in England played with Phil Walker, who's the editor of Wisden Cricket Monthly, editor-in-chief. Uh, he was mm-hmm. on the show a couple of weeks ago, of course, discussing the World Test Championship with us as well. But he was one of our summarizers on the radio. And he has a lot of thoughts, a lot of well-developed yep. thoughts on England mm-hmm. red ball cricket. So they've gone away and looked at coaching techniques, which you know I don't think we talked an awful lot about techniques until the last couple of years but it's i think this group of english batters have prompted that conversation So mm-hmm. the malfunctioning techniques You could say uh, and, and I suppose the fragility Of a number of players Who we think should be taking The next step And haven't been So mm-hmm. that's in A big investigation style piece there That feels orchestrated In terms of other bits and pieces In the mag Taha Hashim Who's a brilliant young reporter For Wisdom Cricket Monthly He's spoken with Elise Perry And written a feature Around the great Australian all-rounder We're at the business end Of the county season So the county files Have been more relevance, I suppose With a couple of weeks to go Until we move into the division visual structure, preview of the 100, all the usual columns from Izzy and Andrew Miller and from Lizzie Ammon about the county game. So that's all coming up in the next edition. And I suppose it's probably still the same time of the month when you're just getting your your, your fingers into the July edition. I know it's now the 7th of July when we're recording this. So it's been out for a Mm -hmm. couple of weeks now. It came out in June, but it was an absolute belter, Jeff.
0: It was. Tell you what, if you want an interview with Billy Gottelman, you know where to go. Final word favourite, Kieran Carlson is in there. Harry Gurney. Uh, the man named after a hospital trolley. Um, good to see. Nathan Lehman, the England team analyst, did the Golden Summers segment, which is uh, the the recurring feature in which someone talks about their favourite sun-soaked uh, summer of cricket, the one that lives in their memory. Uh, 100th anniversary of a Charlie McCartney innings. We were just talking about Charlie McCartney's triple hundred before. It's probably that one, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to hazard a guess. Scott Oliver's in there, who's done some amazing work uh, on the Adrian Shankar story as well recently online. I think we, we, we should try to talk to Scott got on the show at some point about that so yep the the the, the usual columnists getting into it as well and the heavy bowlers segment on england's emerging fast bowlers of which there are quite a lot
1: I just want to say as well that Lawrence Booth is the latest to jump on the Brazil story. So Lawrence is the editor of the get Almanac. In. More the better. It's a, it's a very big bandwagon and it's, mm-hmm. I mean, we know having uh, talked to Roberta Moretti a couple of months ago uh, just how special uh, cricket in Brazil is at the moment or how special the story is of cricket in Brazil. Uh, so Lawrence has got that in the magazine as well. So there's loads there and as always uh, you can get a wonderful discount because you're part of our family, a part of our community, and therefore, by extension of that, you mm-hmm. can get 44% off. That's a pretty big discount, 44% off for six editions.
0: When we're talking about this discount, let's, let's tell you what uh, listener George Norman had to say about it. Oh, be still my beating heart, he began his letter, an advert in the latest weekly pod for the WCM magazine, including an interview with the one and only Norman Cowans. Is there a Bitly link with a 44% discount? Oh, my, how fast can it be to sign up? And 44, says George, is, of course, the great man's batting strike rate in tests outside England. Thank you, George. You may consider your work on this planet complete, he told us. He also followed up saying a great photo of DK Lilly um, because our listener Shane Fagg sent through a, a lovely photo of him as a kid with DK in the dressing rooms uh, hanging out after a, a match, which is up on the Patreon page. George said, as dedicated followers of footy and cricket, you will no doubt be aware of the link between Dennis Lilly. And Premiership player, less successful coach and sometime Australia under-19 cricketer, Don Pike. Now, I asked Adam about this being more of an Australian rules nuffy than I – what was your answer? It was...
1: My, my first response was the only thing I really remember about Don Pike is that the sort of rolling brawl that he had with Ben Allen, his best mate in the 91 grand final, where the two of them beat the shit out of each other for two and a half hours. Mm. I mean, yes, I knew he played in the 92 and 94 flags and went on to coach at the top level. But the main thing that stood out to me, because I've watched the 91 grand final so many times, was that I did mm-hmm. not know there was the cricket link, though.
0: There is a cricket link because the father of Don Pike was Dr. Frank Pike, who was one of the pioneering uh, sort of biomechanist sports scientists at the University of Western Australia, which of course became Chucker's College uh, later on in a cricketing sense. But uh, I think he did some work (laughs) with the Australian Olympic team after the 76 Montreal bust when Australia were... Shithouse at the '76 Olympics, and uh, and and so the AIS and and all of that was set up, wasn't it? Uh, was that how it happened? You're- it's it's a version of that. It's after Montreal uh,
1: when they when they mm. don't win a gold medal, and, and the whole world changes in terms of sports funding in Australia. I put up something on Twitter last year that was about as niche as it gets. Where I just put up, a, I was watching someone bowl who on television, mm. and let's just say I, I thought that that. Uh, might have been bent more than fifteen degrees when they were bowling. Okay, and I and I put the Google directions from the SCG to the University of Western Australia. And for those who got <laughs> it, they really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: niche. <laughs> upon old Chuckers College. But the the link though the, the link. link. Let's do bad. the link. Doctor Frank Pike was the sports scientist who helped heal Dennis Lilly's back. When Lily did his back, had his stress fractures in his back, which in the seventies used to be the end of it for a fast bowler. He healed himself, physician healed thyself, um, with the help of Dr. Frank Pike. There wasn't really a, a, a roadmap for how to do it at the time, but they worked out a way. They tried it, and it worked. And, and DK got back into, uh, uh, into into top line cricket, top line bowling. So, uh, Dr. Frank managed to father Don and fix DK's back. Uh, what a man! Bit dot lee forward
1: slash WCMTFW, bit.ly, all in the notes, WCMTFW. You hit that, no code required, 44% coming your way for six editions. And also, the fact that it's on the tablet, never fear. That's how I read Wisdom Cricket Monthly now, on your tablet. The print edition's great, but I find the uh, the digital edition even better. Also, you can get the print edition for the collectors out there, but it's a yep. very good alternative at a very healthy discount. bit.ly forward slash WCMTFW for the
0: best cricket magazine in the world. And when you find the story about Brazil, you can have a Rito de Janeiro.
2: Hi, I'm Dave Warner, and you're listening to The Final Word.
1: Final word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. We've already, Jeff, talked about uh, the mass exodus of Australian players Mm -hmm. as far as their 100 deals are concerned. That story came out during the week and it it kind of was in the context of a number of other stories doing the rounds about Australian players, not only not wanting to go to England for this tournament and not only reluctant tourists in in the Windies at the moment and and Bangladesh potentially, some of them, of course, haven't gone after the IPL, Mm Maybe they don't want to do much cricket at all uh, until the World Cup or even even indeed the Ashes. They are, frankly, sick of bubbles and they are not going to be submitting to them unless they have to between now and the Australian summer. It's a very interesting, interestingly poised story. Uh, I don't know where this is going to go exactly.
0: Well, it was in the context of the, um, the Australian government plan. Those of you who watched South Park back in the day may remember the underpants gnomes. Uh, they had a plan too. Uh, phase one was steel underpants. Phase three was profit. Nobody remembered what phase two was, Um, (laughs) but they kept stealing everybody's underpants because that was the plan. Um, The Australian federal government came out with a plan, um, you know, within the last week or so. It was four phases. um, Phase one, steal underpants. Phase one, steal underpants. Phase three was profit. Um, I think phase four was just something like final phase. That's all (laughs) it said. They were like, phase four is the final phase phase one was do everything that we were supposed to have done already which was vaccinate everybody and then phase two was things like if you have been vaccinated you won't be subject to various quarantines and so on but none of that comes into effect till next year so basically what they've said is that there will still be a two week quarantine for everyone coming into australia until the end of the year they'll also halve the number of people who are allowed to come per week um, on flights uh, who will have a spot in quarantine they'll still have no access for people who are not citizens unless you somehow get a special case exemption by being rich or important enough and yeah nothing's going to change until next year so all of the players who would have signed up for the 100 thinking things will probably be okay by august next year they won't They aren't because it is August next year just about and they're not okay and so any cricketer who leaves the country they may not even have been vaccinated yet who knows. The ones going overseas would have been but I'm not sure if the ones who've stayed behind would have been and they won't be able to come back into the country without doing a a two-week hard quarantine even if they are vaccinated. So the desire to leave it till next year is, is probably pretty strong.
1: Yeah and of course not just that competition either so and this gets, there's layer upon layer, isn't there? Because we've seen a story for Pete Lawler that multi-year contracts are back on the table. I think that's significant. We haven't really heard about multi-year contracts since the 2017 pay dispute. The idea of them there was that it was a leverage and Pat until, Howard
0: tried to buy them off.
1: Well, the idea was that if we give you a three-year deal or a five-year deal, I think it was talked about for Pat Cummins at the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. The,
1: the idea was is that he would therefore not go to the IPL. Now, hmm. I, I get that multi-year deals have... A big benefit especially for fast bowlers because you know you could your career could end quite abruptly as a fast bowler and 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 you are putting your body on the line to do that job for your country week after Mm -hmm. week and there is a degree of risk with that compared to other roles that you could perform as a cricketer although acknowledging that batting is dangerous Mm -hmm. too but bowlers tend to have those impact injuries more often so i see where that's going but i'm interpreting it as being part of this broader conversation at the moment around the IPL, around what might happen later mm. in the year if the IPL precedes the World Cup. Indeed, Steve Smith. So Steve Smith said during the week that due to the fact that he's had some injuries in the last couple of years, especially to his elbow, and the fact that, I don't know whether he said this, but we learnt during the week that if you play in the T20 World Cup final, if Australia make the final and you play in it, and it, let's mm-hmm. assume that, that, that you know, most of Australia's senior players who are multi-format players will be in that team. They won't get back in time to get hotel quarantine dealt with before the Afghanistan test. So that would mean that, I mean, let's say Warner, Cummins, Stark, you know, Smith would have been part of that. There'll be others. Hazelwood. Hazelwood. So on that basis, you know, Smith has already started – floating that the T20 World Cup may not be for him, mm. that the Ashes will be there for him. He'll want to repeat what he's done uh, in England and indeed in Australia four years ago in the 17-18 series. And if it means missing a, a T20 World Cup and staying home mm. throughout that stretch and not going to the IPL, presumably, then so be it. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a blow to think that Afghanistan may be in a situation where they're playing a test at Hobart, but not playing against Australia's best team. It might improve the competitive balance. That's not meant to be patronising, it's just being realistic. I mean, it's reflective of, of the ongoing of the ongoing turmoil that, that COVID is creating inside cricket. That even something as straightforward as this, getting from one hmm. competition back home for the formal summer, they won't get out of hotel quarantine in time because that's going nowhere fast. It'll be the same for me and and for my family. Yeah. I'm sure that we'll have to do 14 days on the way back into
0: Australia, despite the fact that we'll have been double jabbed six months earlier. Yeah, you. I mean, there's there's no way that that won't be the case and you would think i'm sure there'd be discontent about it but you would think it it wouldn't be maybe it shouldn't be impossible for national team reps who have been in a completely bio-controlled environment anyway and who are vaccinated anyway to do a less stringent kind of quarantine even if it even if it allowed them to come back and play the test match, you know, the, the players in the test match won't be uh, jumping into the stands and licking supporters. Uh, there'll probably be a degree of biosecurity around that as well. So there's a fair bit of intransigence that's just about not, um, about politicians not wanting to open themselves up to any sort of criticism on a, any angle um, beyond the stuff that they've already let themselves in for, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, you know, we all know why uh, there's been this um, this this delay on the vaccine rollout, well, not so much on the supply side of it, that's just a broader bungle, but on the messaging, on the sort of the fact that you can go vaccine shopping in Australia and wait for the one you want. We all know that in a compulsory voting system where preferences have to go somewhere, there are a lot of anti-vaxxers out there and anti vax adjacent types. And it all and it all flows back to that, regrettably. Speaking of uh, politics, uh, there was a breaking story tonight, again from Pete Lawler, who's been busy at the Australian newspaper, that Mike Baird is going to be intimately involved uh, in the next pay deal Um, this is in Mm. relation to uh, a a little hook that Pete's got around incentive payments so they were criticized after Cape Town weren't Mm -hmm. they that the sandpaper frago that having payment Mm -hmm. aligned to victories or number of victories it it meant that there was an extra incentive there to win at all costs and of course that was part of the the conversation in the culture review uh, following sandpaper Um, But yes, Mike Baird, former Premier of New South Wales, ideologue, anti-union type. We saw that worked well back in 2017 when David Peaver was the chair of Cricket Australia. He didn't last in that job for, what was it, about a year after that he was gone. And yes, it was Sandpaper that played a role in that, but also it was the way that the MOU was handled, I'm sure. But kind of here we go again. Mike Baird uh, involved in negotiations around pay. Well, look out.
0: Well, let's be open-minded about this. Could there be some new ways of looking at it where it w- is, if it were, say, a Category A player who's on an $800,000 base, if they can get three cherries in a row or, say, three <laughs> stars, maybe they get bumped up to a $1.2 million contract. But if they don't, they drop down to a 600000 you know? Maybe if, if, if a player puts uh, a dollar in the bonus bet box at the back of the cards <laughs> and then they get pontoon they get to have a spin they get to hit the hit the buzzer and maybe they maybe they win a, a minor jackpot 25,000 we'll bring it down from the cage in in $5,000 chips so they can cash them in <laughs> and keep playing right then and there you know maybe this is the maybe this is the innovation that Australian cricket needs
1: he might look he might be chairman by then hollywood mike we've seen reports that he could be the guy that, that new south wales back in the event that they get to roll Earl Eddings. so it's going to be a very interesting story to follow in the short mm. term around the MOU, and in the long term around Bed's presence
0: inside Cricket Australia. It's going to be a ride, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Todd Greenberg, the new new head of the um, the Players Union, who you know. Very enthusiastic backer when he was at the NRL of Matthew Lodge, who was the guy who, you know, beat the shit out of several people in New York City and threatened to kill them while he was uh, high on various things and then got re-registered by the NRL. No, you know, no worries at all. Should just be allowed to keep playing. So mm, interesting times in terms of um, who's in charge of what at the moment. So Australia's
1: men are actually in the Caribbean at the moment. Not that you necessarily know. It's, I mean, it is a series that's going to be played. Off Broadway, I suppose, the first of five T20s begin on Saturday in St Lucia, all in the wake of the the Langer report um, going public over the weekend, the confronting conversations that we read about in the newspapers uh, last week that were had in the Gold Coast pre-tour camp that wasn't just Mm -hmm. the players going to the Caribbean, but... Other senior members of the Red Bull team are brought in, like Tim Payne, understandably so, to have this this chat with Langer. Um, It's been said that he took head-on the findings of Tim Ford, who was the consultant that CA used to Mm. explore the issues inside the dressing room following the India series and the disharmony, I suppose, between players Mm -hmm. and coach.
0: Does that mean that he head butted Tim Ford? Is that <laughs> yes. is that what we're to read between the lines here? <laughs> Who's got the heaviest head in the WA dressing room? That's the only thing. That <laughs> That's that matters.
1: true. Yeah, Go put him full on the circuit. scales. Go full <laughs> line, line him up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so Langer. Yeah, it, it said that that well, according to Aaron Finch, that that Langer was willing to address the issues brought up. And, and Finch's words were, it was brilliant for him to tackle them head on and I suppose just put his side of the story and his spin on it, which would suggest that it was a yeah. fairly negative report if Langer has to put his spin on it to the players yeah. after the fact. But yeah, Peter Lawler wrote a piece in the wash-up that caused a bit of a stir, kind of uh, digging into the character of Langer, his intensity, his passion, mm-hmm. and the conclusion there was that the players now better understand that. And now they get Langer a bit more, uh, maybe they can have a better cooperative arrangement uh, heading into the future. There's a killer quote here from Lawler. It's about Langer. He's a Greek wedding. He's broken plates, raised voices, and hugs that squeeze the life out of you. And I can kind of see that. Like he can, That all, that all yeah. tallies with what we've seen of Justin Langer over the years. But, yeah, an interesting part to this, wasn't it, that the report was dealt with before they went on tour. Mm-hmm. And then you know, everyone kind of went public on it. It wasn't kept behind closed doors.
0: And I think that links to what Pete Lawler wrote as well, that that sort of intensity worked really well for a time. It worked really well at the start when when the Australian team needed it and it didn't work when they were stuck in hub environments and nobody could get away from each other and they started losing games. But there was a fair bit of that with Darren Lehman as well. remember how everybody talked him up at the start. Oh, he's so relaxed and he just takes it easy and lets the boys be themselves and all that kind of stuff, which worked to an extent because he had a very experienced team full of senior players who pretty much ran their own show. But being a a hands-off, you know back the boys sort of happy-go-lucky type didn't work too well when things went to shit or maybe it was a contributing factor to it. So I suppose there are those being the right person for the right time kind of situations. But the fact that they had this review and that they had this conversation and all of the rest of it, tells us that it was a much bigger story than they were admitting to at the time. Because when this first got written up by Andrew Wu and Chris Barrett over the, what was it, January at the start of this year, the response from Inside Cricket was, oh, this is a hit job by some some journos who are trying to create a story um, and bring someone down and it's all totally unfair and unwarranted. Well, obviously, clearly it's not. Clearly there were much bigger issues there with the players themselves who were unhappy with things and so you know whether there have been commitments to make that change and and, and whether they stick will be what we'll have to wait to see. Yeah, watch this space and Darren Lehman I should say is no
1: longer the coach of the Brisbane Heat he's moved to assistant coach in order to make Wade second coach because Wade second wants to be uh, the next coach of Australia so interesting moves there in the Big Bash League Uh, Just staying with West Indies for a moment, now I don't want to get too deep into this because there's not a lot of information around about it but two West Indies players collapsed during the week And that feels significant to me Uh, Chanel Henry and Chadeen Nation were fielding In the second of three T20 internationals Against Pakistan in Antigua And they both collapsed independently of each other On the field And for me that was just a reminder really Of what we learnt in the Hit for Six report A couple of years ago Which we talked about at great length uh, On the show at the time About cricket and climate change Just this week the Frank Worrell lecture Was given at the University of West Indies On climate change and cricket Given by the the Prime Minister of Grenada, Kevin Mitchell, which goes through all of these issues again, and player welfare is part of it. It's not just about you know the facilities that players will have. It's not just about how hot it'll be on the field. It's about what it can physically do to cricketers. And we've been into this yep. in, in great depth before. The good news, of course, is that both Henry and Nation played the thirteen twenty and they were let out of hospital straight away. But mm. we shouldn't think that because COVID-19 has been the only issue in town as far as uh, global cricket in the last 18 months that somehow climate change has gone away then we should renew our focus here on the final word on that too and I I suspect we'll we'll find time for another climate change show in, in the coming weeks.
0: Yeah, well, we don't know if it was heat-related, those collapses, but it's almost besides the point that there will exactly. be heat-related yeah. collapses yeah. For, for other players in other games, whether this was or not. Maybe they had a massive night the evening before, you know, um, I don't know. But it's it's the sort of thing that we, we will see happen or we will see games having to be postponed so that it doesn't happen. So it is going to be more and more disruptive. As it keeps being pointed out, um, no matter how hot a summer gets, it's probably likely to be the coolest one you'll have for the rest of your life. We've never had a
1: politician on the final web before, but I might see whether we can get Kevin Mitchell to join us, who's the PM of Mm -hmm. Grenada, because that was an excellent piece of work. What if we could also
0: get the the groundsman from the Gabba? What if we could get Kevin Mitchell and Kevin Mitchell? (laughs) And Kevin Mitchell Jr. The three Kevin Mitchells could all be on the show at the same time. The dream Kevin Mitchell dinner party, if you will. (laughs)
1: Let's just stay with women's cricket to swing through the final one-day international that India played against England at Worcestershire. What a game. On Saturday. It ended up being a cracking game. It was quite a spirited final over, or final stanza chase uh, by the mm-hmm. Indians in pursuit of 220. They looked absolutely stuffed. I did a com stint, uh, so I guess that would have been about seven overs, mm-hmm. where the required rate went from 5.2 to 7.2. Madali was mm-hmm. out there with Harman Preet initially and then Deepti Sharma, and we're yep. thinking, well... Their stuff now. They're, they are not going to chase down seven and over in the final ten. I went back and thought, well, this might be the last time we see Mithali play for India. She'll end up fifty mm. something not out, and they will be forced to make a change. And it went a very different way towards the end, Jeff.
0: Yes, Mithali uh, started finding the fence, um, went down the ground a few times, uh, finished it off with a beautiful sort of back foot push through through backward point, just steered it through little a uh, little bit Meg Lanning style, and timed it perfectly in the end and it was quite interesting to watch the the narrative wars play out because we've seen the first two ODIs where Mitali Raj made slow half centuries in both of them and it didn't help India batting first post a uh, a very competitive score but they also would have probably fallen apart to a lower score if she hadn't been there because everybody else fell over but then you can ask whether they partly fell over because they were trying to push the rate because she was batting slowly at the other end, at least with the top order bats. In this game, she ends up timing it to perfection because she gets the result. But it would have been very interesting to see, you know, had she got out two overs before the end, they definitely lose the game. There were so many dot balls soaked up again and it was this situation where, okay, she got the result, but could it have been done differently? You know, did it have to come down to the last over? Did it have to be catching up with boundaries at the end? when there was so little apparent effort to rotate the strike through the middle of of the innings. So, you know, a lot of people will point to the result and say, well, she won, she was unbeaten, she was, what was she, 70-odd not out at the end. Um, She's done it perfectly. Everyone who criticised her, all the haters, man, can piss off, man. But also maybe she still could have done it a different way and, and had the same result but risked less in doing so.
1: Yeah, the end is justifying means argument there, I suppose. I love the fact that Sneer was a big part of that uplift in the final 10. She's a bit of a revelation, yeah. um, despite not
0: having played She's the their MVP years. of the tour. So yeah,
1: so. I, I mean, you've just got to love her, don't you? Sneer we talked about it on The Daily Show, but her, her father passed away a couple of months ago and she's dedicated her comeback to him. She's lost up to five kilos uh, over the last couple of years. She's been a senior player at railways and, and now um, getting the chance to be influential with ball and bat uh, for India. I'm sure she'll be part of the T20s that start on Friday at Northampton. Just returning to Mathali, she went from the number six ranked batter in the world at the start of the series, three half century, she's back to number one, the eighth time she's held Mm. the the number one crown, if you like, as far as the rankings are concerned. But I I, I sincerely believe, and this isn't sort of like some agenda, I sincerely believe that that it could be a handbrake on this team taking the next step Mm. in the context of a World Cup that rolls around this February and March. You're right, maybe they don't make any runs if she's not there, but in the absence of the counterfactual, we don't know what they could be if she wasn't there yeah. right now. We don't know what they could grow to become. Harman Preet's having a stinker. She's made two half centuries since the World Cup of 2017. She's got yeah. a strike rate of 68 through that stretch of time. I just feel like as captain and mm-hmm. maybe she wouldn't be captain incidentally maybe they, they jump a generation and Smriti Mandana yep. might take the role and Harman Preet who's nearly 33 I think might be moved on in, in a similar way maybe not immediately but in the fullness of time this isn't some sort of when people criticise Medali, it isn't about agendas it isn't about character assassinations it's about objectively looking at the way this team has come together and how short yep. they are of Australia in terms of their average first inning score since the 17 World Cup and England for that matter and New Zealand for that mm-hmm. matter and seeing where could the, the puzzle pieces be moved around to give them a better chance of taking the step that England made when Charlotte Edwards retired? Hmm. And that's no criticism well, of Lottie about- either. I mean, when, when Charlotte retired, it gave space for Tammy Beaumont. It gave space for Nat Siver to grow and become more senior in the team. And it might require Mathali hmm. retiring to give this next generation
0: the chance to do precisely the same. Yeah, but I suppose you, you could also say their prospects of doing that before the World Cup are pretty much none. They're not playing a lot. They'll play in Australia. They'll play yeah. th- three ODIs presumably in Australia. I don't know if they've uh, and they'll. I suppose they'll maybe they'll get another series, another three or something. Yeah, so playing one at home. I think if the they're, they're playing
1: a series at home, a series yeah. in Australia, then then I'd imagine they'll play you know some warm up tournament yeah. on the way
0: in. So it's not a huge amount of time to try to put together another. Team or or another way of doing it, and maybe they do need to stick with what they've got. And I, I suppose back that you know, a lot of teams in that World Cup come February are not going to be chasing 220 against India's bowlers. They don't necessarily need huge scores most of the time, but it's a total gamble when they come up against sides like Australia and England that have the hitting power, whether, you know, if India find themselves chasing 290 with the way this team's going at the moment, there'll be zero chance of doing so.
1: Yeah, they might be able to creep into the semis with what they're doing at the moment, but the probability of, I mean, there's a, there's a leap there, isn't there, to go from final mm. four to, to number one, holding well, the trophy yeah. aloft, there's, there's often a gap, and, and that was
0: England's mm. problem in 16, right? They, they, they But it's, a, it's a matter of the... whether you get the good team on a bad day. You know, whether you get England exactly. like you did in the third game where England has a bad day, India yep. will win. Exactly. But, so if, if a couple of teams have a bad day in a semi and a final, then then they could win. I, I don't see them doing it otherwise. And Harman Preet with that score, different style of play, but she's becoming a bit like a Shade of Freedy kind of character where you say, oh, well, way back when, you know, 15 years ago, made 100 off 30 balls but hasn't done anything since. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: In terms of the T20s, I don't think we've seen a multi-format series where it's 6-4 going into the T20s before, so that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, three uh, T20s are at Northampton, at Hove and at Chelmsford over the next mm-hmm. week and a half. England have recalled Danny White and Maddie Villiers. So Danny White, who missed the one days, gets her chance in the short form. And Maddie Villiers, who's been mm-hmm. overlooked so far, the Essex off-spinner, gets her chance as well. Uh, Jeff, before we round out the show today, Dane Hanstead, Blessed Dane Hansted Would be known To Storytime listeners Often the man Who solves The the nerd pledge clues That Jeff and I Can't solve He wanted me to know That Romania Have had a great week Uh, They played Mm -hmm. In the Invitational In Bulgaria In Sofia To acknowledge 20 years of Bulgarian cricket And it was on television And they went 5 for 5 Romania They won the final And Pavel Florin Who of course Was a massive hit A few years ago When he first Mm -hmm. played In the European Super League I think it was called Or something like that Took a fourfer and finish the competition with seven wickets at an average of ten, an economy rate of six point two five. So onwards and upwards for Romanian cricket.
0: Go, There's someone who truly deserves the epithet the great man, uh, the great man Pavel Florin, uh, just, <laughs> just 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 trotting in, just bowling off a step, uh, and down they go. And uh, yeah, he 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 knocks out more players than expected. They they don't see it coming. So uh, well done, Pavel, and thank you, Dane. He's good for the game. Uh, Jeff, time for us to say
1: goodbye. Uh, thanks for all the lovely yeah, yeah. feedback about story time returning last weekend. That was a hoot making that uh, and listening back mm. to it, it. Yes, it's nice to be able to just sort of, I don't know, just kick back a gear or so and just enjoy uh, the numbers of the sport and the stories that go hand in hand with that. So we'll be back with that on Saturday, maybe Friday if we get our act mm-hmm. together. Uh, we want to thank all the usual suspects. So they include Brick Lane Brewing Community. I'll get it right eventually, Jeff, the Brick Lane Brewing Community um, Mm -hmm. for being our new primary sponsor. That means an awful lot to have them on board with us. Uh, Check out their work all of their informations in the show notes and follow them on social media to Wisdom Cricket Monthly uh, find yourself tell
0: them that we sent them Yeah, know, drop do that. Sweet. tweet be like ah oh, listen to the show If that <laughs> sure was thirsty work um, would love to put down a crisp uh, bricklane lager you know a nice a nice light one at 4.4%
1: yep do it uh, do it have yourself a beer enjoy uh, what you're doing over the weekend with bricklane brewing and company uh, community community. Company, community 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 i love communities i love communality it should be it should come you second nature to me so you cricket monthly get yourself 44 percent off in the mm-hmm. usual way bit.ly forward slash wcmtfw uh, to all of our patrons patron.com forward slash the final word we have now gone back behind jimmy I'm, I'm sad to report for it has been the start of a new month all the credit cards have done mm-hmm. what credit cards do and some of them expire at the end of a month so if you're one of those mm-hmm. people uh, you can easily rejoin but if not um, you can help us overtake James Anderson for a third time in the space of four weeks. That will be fun. Mm. And we might need to do some heavy lifting because Jimmy, if he bowls yeah. as well as he did uh, against Kent a couple of days ago, uh, he'll be taking tonnes of wickets against India yeah. uh, when that test series starts on the 4th of August at Nottingham. We
0: need a big lead by the end of this month, basically. We do. I we, think, do. we need to be like 20 in front by the end of the month <laughs> to, to try to stay there. Uh, to the team at Bad Producer
1: Productions, to Jay Mueller, Astrid Edwards, and to our week-to-week producer and editor, dave collins thank you ever so much for making us sound a lot better than we are and thank you jeff uh, for all the work you do you're in your new non swedish shauna uh, hope the move's mm-hmm. gone well yep. looking forward to doing this all again very soon on story time thanks for listening this has been the final word and thanks to will mcpherson as well who came on and made some time for us in a very busy week okay that's it for us
0: Bye. cheers cobbers
2: i had to go about it